we need to bring this back together as a community thing. And yes, you can run the race, but we also need you to help. And this is how trail running works. It's not like a, a marathon where you can have a thousand runners out there and you can do it with 100 volunteers. We need probably close to 200 slots filled. That was Dean Johnson. And this is episode 105 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Dean Johnson is a runner, race director, and coach from Lethbridge, Alberta. After spending many years playing hockey, slow pitch, and coaching youth football, he decided to start running at age 45. It didn't take very long before he found himself at Boston, running his first Lost Soul 50K that fall and on the board of the race as a race director shortly after. He is now one of five race directors for the Lost Soul Ultra. In this episode, we talk about Dean's personal running experiences, his role as a race director, some of the changes he has seen in trail racing and volunteering over the years, and what he plans to do in the future to nurture running community. Finally, we discuss his coaching approach and philosophy of guiding his athletes towards independence. We hope you will enjoy our chat with Dean. So Dean, welcome to the Inspired Souls podcast. We're so happy to have you with us tonight. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be aboard. Yeah, so Lost Souls Race, we'll get into that in the show for sure, but the Lost Souls Ultra just happened a day, sorry, a week plus a day ago. We've given you a little bit of time to catch some sleep because it truly is an all weekend event out there in Lethbridge in the Coolies. And true story, Dean, Carolyn and I have been talking about having you on the show for quite a while. And as the summer came to a close and we started kind of doing our, you know, rebooking for the fall, we're like, we need Dean Johnson. I'm like, well, Lost Souls is happening like in a week. We can't message him now. He's not even going to see the message or he's going to go like, no way. So we said, okay, we're going to reach out to him on like the Tuesday or Wednesday after the race. And then Sunday morning, 100 Miler had just finished. Like at 6 a.m., I get this message from you saying, I want to recommend a guest for your show. It's a runner that just finished the race, which by the way, we have booked to interview in a few weeks. And yeah, I said, well, actually we want you. <laughs> so here you are. Thank you for coming on the show. And I, I think this is a bit long overdue. We um, have lots we want to ask you. And I'm sure there's a lot of our listeners in Western Canada, at least that will be interested to hear what you say. So I will stop talking now. And we're going to just open um, with what we usually do is a little bit of what we call a dynamic warm up. We would like you to tell us a little bit about yourself, where you live, what you do, who is Dean Johnson? I'm living in uh, Lethbridge, Alberta in my late 50s and um, semi-retired, sort of retired from public public service work. And then now I'm a running coach. Uh, so it's kind of a half-time, half-time job, I guess you call it. But I was a typical Canadian kid, you know, starting off with hockey and track in the summer and maybe a little bit of football. And then, you know, a typical guy, right? You know, you finish high school, so you got to do something. So you continue on with guys hockey, right? And then, you know, the slow pitch in the summer and, you know, a little bit of running around. And then, you know, I ended up, uh, my an old hockey coach uh, approached me just as I finished college. He said, hey, I, I'm coaching my son football. I know you played hockey for me back in the day. Can you come and help me coach football? So back as a 21 or something. And so I ended up, you know, carrying that on and, and I ended up being a football coach for 20 years. And then 
I seem to to get very involved in things when I get involved. So um, I ended up, you know, president of the Lethbridge Minor Football League, four teams, and then I was commissioner for the Southern Alberta Football League, and I refed, and oh it got a little, you know, a little bit too much. <laughs> and then I found I was just getting, you know, unhealthy, unfit. And so at 40, I go, like, this isn't going to, this doesn't play out very well. So my sister, uh, she had a running group, and it's just a recreational running group. And so I, I said, well, can I come out too? And so I started running at 40. And, you know, it took me probably three months before I could do that 10 miler, right? That was a big number, 10 miles. And back when I was in junior high, I ran the Lethbridge 10 mile road race in like 1980. And so that was my, my last big run ever. And then I just did some sprint track stuff. But, but then I, I got back into running as more of a health thing and, you know, the social aspect too, because they always meet on Saturdays and Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. And sometimes mm-hmm. go for beer after or breakfast kind of thing. So that's kind of my journey from sports and into running. All right. So you joined your sister and, you know, the social running club and you got yourself to running the 10 miles. Uh, what happened next? Like what, what was it beyond kind of the social and going out for the beer after and stuff like that? What was it about running that really hooked you in compared to some of the other sports? You, you call them guy sports, like the slow pitch and the football that you've been doing before. What was it about running that was different? And did it help you with the weight that you've been putting on <laughs> up until yeah. that point? So uh, just started off, you know, casual running. And then all of a sudden, I think it was about a, about a year's notice and Lethbridge was bringing back the marathon. They were going to put a marathon on the running store. They, had, they did a marathon back in like the 80s or something once. And so they're going to have the first one. So, you know, there's some guys there. Well, they're putting on a marathon. Well, we should run a marathon. And one of the guys had run it a couple of years before, but, you know, just suffered and it was no fun. So we ended up kind of running together, training together, just kind of ad hoc, right? Just doing some runs, doing a long run, trying to get that 20 miler. And and the the running store, when they announced it uh, kind of in the fall and then the race is going to be in the spring, they kind of had a bit of a plan. So, you know, come out to the running club and on Saturdays we'll we'll progress the long runs up to like 22 miles or something, which is a Mm -hmm. total suffer fest. And then we they'd do a midweek run as well. So they kind of, there was a little bit of structure there that we would, uh, work with and so you know who needs to do a half marathon first we'll just kind of do do the full of course and so you know that that kind of went and, and it, was, it was good because that was my first marathon in Lethbridge the weather wasn't great and so between the two of us we kind of there are different points in the race where we were suffering and we're pulling the other one along and I think we finished in four and a half hours which is very respectable for a, a first time marathon and you know we're sure we're all kind of beat up and we you know we stayed together right till the end and pulled each it was great so that camaraderie uh, between us, um, we, you know, just kind of carried on. And so we really enjoyed that, that, that atmosphere. And, and then it kind of carried on. So Lethbridge did the marathon for three years and uh, I ended up running it all three years and, you know, getting a little bit better, a little bit better. And then uh, a friend of mine, she, that's an accomplished runner and she had run Boston and, and stuff. And, and she said, uh, well, are you going to try for Boston? And I go, what? Like I just ran like a, a 4:30 marathon. I can't, run like looked at I did the math it's like 3 30 I go I can't drop an hour and then you know but then you start thinking about it going well I guess if she thinks I can do it she goes so I, I think you could do it you know and mm-hmm. I, I you know I was obviously a, you know a former athlete you know stayed, stayed right. somewhat fit but just unhealthy you know not you know putting weight on and then all mm-hmm. of a sudden you know I'm starting to run more and you know lose some weight feeling better 
um, it's way healthier too with with just the the, the mental health too with you know mm-hmm. work because when you're in your yeah. 40s you're probably at your peak kind of work stress kind of you know mm-hmm. trying to mm-hmm. fit things in and then so you know that carried on and carried on and then you know I got to like four hours or 359 or something like that and went oh I'm getting better and and then I, I started following the the Furman running program, which was the precursor for the uh, Run Less, Run Faster book. It was kind of like these two guys from Furman University, they're two profs, and they just were running together all the time. And so they came up with a program where it was three runs a week and two days of cross training. But the runs were pretty hard. And so, and and they've had two or three books out. And uh, so I, I think I read it in, you know, Canadian Running or Runner's World. And I kind of, you know, photocopied those pages about the plan right. and that's what I used. It fit well with me, maybe because I had a, a hockey background and, you know, I guess I had, I probably had the strength to do it as opposed to somebody that maybe are, is coming off the couch. They may not have been able to do those hard workouts. So anyways, right. um, that progressed. And then I, all of a sudden I, you know, I'm dropping like 20 minutes a year off my time. Yeah. And yeah. then uh, uh, my sister-in-law lives in Ottawa. So I signed up for the Ottawa marathon, you know, it's a big deal. Um, yeah. And so I said, well, I'm going to give that a try just using this program. And I went there and, I, you know, I was on pace for the first 10 K and I think I started getting a blister under the ball of a foot and <laughs> then, you know, started to heat up and, you know, the, the thing went to hell. And so yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if you have ever watched the movie, uh, uh, run fat boy run. It's a British movie yes. with Simon Pegg. Yes. So that was my favorite movie movie. And, and so it's, it's how I I kind of grabbed that and that's my, my business name is Run Dean Run. Sort oh, of a okay. play off yeah. of Run Fat Boy Run because, you know, I was kind of a chunky guy, 175 pounds, you know, starting off. And so um, in that movie, you know, when he had the big blister on his toe and the buddy was going to poke it. Well, my sister-in-law, I'm not, I sit on the couch with my foot up and, and this thing was probably this big around on the bottom. Oh. She actually jabbed it and it oh. squirted out just like oh, in the movie. Oh, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> so I and I thought it was going to happen. So I was, you know, playing, you know, just kind of, and then I laughed and laughed. And so it's, it, you know, it's that running joke. And this was like ten years ago or something. So, yeah, yeah. So anyways, you know, what I, are sisters I, for, man? Exactly. Yeah. So you know, after that blow up, going okay, you know, I'm, I'm weighing over my head here. They actually created a book for the run less, run faster. And so I, I poured into that thing, and it it worked. And so uh, the next year, um, I, I kind of made a two year plan. So I said the next year I need to get down to like you know, 345 or something. And I think I, I got to like 340. And then I said, okay, um, everything's lined up. I just need 10 more minutes. Well, that was 2011. And that's the first year that Boston changed their uh, qualification to fastest in your age group. So it went from, you only have to run 330. And so I'm, I'm I think, 15 weeks from, from my, my race in Eugene, Eugene, Oregon. And now they tell me, you don't, they don't, they can't tell me what my time is going to be to, uh, to qualify. So I go, well, I guess I have to run faster. So luckily for me, like on that training plan, um, I was hitting all of the, all of the paces and I wasn't hurt. You know, everything was going good. I think one workout at three runs a week with a little bit of cross training and I was still playing some hockey and did some other stuff. So it's still just three runs a week. So not a lot of mileage. And so I picked a really good race. So my wife actually usually picks most of my races, mainly because she she wants ones that have good uh, good routing. And, and if you're familiar with uh, Eugene, Oregon, it's kind of like clover leaves, where it kind of comes mm. back to the center. And so she her, wants it for spectating. 
Yes. Yeah. So she's not uh, okay. you know, <laughs> trying to, you know, get around or just stand around at the finish line. Very um, so, important. Well, and plus it was one of the top races for qualifying because it's mm-hmm. a flat yeah. course. You're at yeah. sea level. So I'm living in Lethbridge yeah. at 3,000 feet. So it's at sea level. Um, there's a lot of hype around it. And you get to finish in Hayward Field. Like yeah, that, is, awesome. that is. And there's, there's like 2,000 people in the stands. And you're on the jumbotron as you come in mm-hmm. and you finish on the track. So this is like hallowed ground. So mm-hmm. we were yeah. there and, you know, I went, did all the, you know, tourist stuff, went to the Prefontaine, the Nike museum and all that, those kind of things. So anyways, I, I get there, I had the perfect buildup. Uh, it rained the day before the race. It rained the day after the, the day we ran, it was like started at seven Celsius and probably went up to 15 or 18. So it was one, it was one of those awesome. perfect days. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm, I'm running and, you know, I, and my, my wife is, you know, watch, usually watching me going, okay, just don't go, don't go too fast. Don't go too fast. Cause that's a guy thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the race starts off and you actually climb this hill, it's a real gradual, like 1% grade. And then you kind of turn around and come back. And I think you're back in 10 K or something. And I was just maybe a, a minute or so ahead of schedule. Okay. That's fine. Cause it was a nice downhill. And I said, you know, I'm just going as easy as I can. And so then, you know, you take off and I'm following the, the pace leader, not a ton of runners, but I get to the halfway point and I'm looking, I'm going, geez, I'm, I'm like four to five minutes ahead of, ahead of pace. And so I just, you know, don't lose your crap here. Just kind of settle down, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. just, just kind of, and so, you know, you cruise and you get to that 20 mile mark and that's usually when stuff starts going sideways and, you know, you get that hamstring twinge where it's just starting to, you know, wants to cramp mm-hmm. and you're going, don't, don't cramp now, don't cramp now. Mm-hmm. And so um, with Eugene, you kind of, it's a slight uphill for the last mile or two getting to the stadium. And I'm going, oh, I don't need an uphill right now. And there's a couple other guys I was kind of back and forth with. And I'm going to get guys, you know, we, we got to stay on pace here. Like, let's go. And I ended up dropping them. And then you get get into the back half of the uh, half marathoners. And so I'm having to weave around people. So now I'm getting a little frustrated, you know. And, and so, you know, and I'm looking on my watch and it's, I had the average or the pace, the average pace. So each each second of average pace meant a certain finishing time. And so I wanted to make sure that I had maybe four minutes of grace. Well, what I had written down, I'm actually underneath that time already. So oh. I ended up finishing nine minutes under my my best time that I even imagined. So it was one of those magical days, right? Mm. And so I ended up coming into Hayward Field and, you know, running across the finish line on the jumbo trying all the people. And so I was pretty confident with that nine minutes that, you know, that that evening my wife booked hotel rooms and, and uh, flights <laughs> and stuff for Boston we said it was funny because yeah. she was she was on the course and there was her another person her husband was running as well about the same time so she ended up near this person they ended up chatting and they've been to Boston a few times so they were given a whole bunch of tips on okay you should probably stay at this hotel so we stayed at the at the Omni Hotel which is a bit of a oh, fancy hotel <laughs> yeah okay so it's it's kind of fancy it's actually where they originally made the uh, Boston cream donuts yeah. So that, that's, okay. you know, so they said, yeah, but you're right downtown. You can actually see where the buses are. So yes. we splurged the extra. We stayed five nights there when we went. Oh, nice. And, uh, and it was, uh, it was perfect. Right. And so we could walk to downtown. And so we, we walked way too much. I think I went to the, yeah. the oh, yeah. expo twice because, uh, Dean Carnassus was there. Oh, I, wow. Know, <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I'd, and he was doing two book signings. And the one was for, I don't know, must have been the publisher. It was out in the open and there's a big, huge lineup. Well, I got into the, he was going to do a second one and it was for Runner's World or something. It was kind of off to the side. And I ended up being the first guy in line. And so I kind of walk up and and the person said, well, please write down your name on the card. And uh, so he just knows how to spell it. 
And so I get up there and it says Dean on it. And he goes, oh, uh, so what's your name? And I go, it's Dean. He goes, so we laughed at it. So. And uh, uh. so I, I, I got to meet uh, Dean Carnassus. And then right Hopefully after, he knew how to spell it. <laughs> yes, he did. Yeah. So that was a little you know, inside joke there. So um, that experience. And then that uh, Run Less, Run Faster, two of the authors were actually doing a book signing, like literally a, a, two stations over. And so I got to meet uh, Jim Pierce and uh, Scott Muir, the two authors. And so I, you know, I thanked them and I said, you know, your book just made the world a difference. It fit well for me and all this kind of thing. So we chatted with them. And then a couple of things over, uh, Danny Dreyer from Chi Running. He was oh, there. Yeah. And so oh, my. there was nobody around. And so, and I, and I had his books as well. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of agnostic with who I follow. So I, you know, I'm reading all the stuff. And so yeah. I, I, I've incorporated some Chi Running concepts with yeah. One Less Run Faster. And all that. Yeah. So right. I got to talk with him. And then uh, uh, they had some of the elites there. And so I'm, I get in line for the elites because they had uh, Meb and then uh, Desi Davila. Um, yeah, yeah. She was there too. Des, yeah, Lyndon. Yeah. Lyndon, now yeah. Des Lyndon. And so I, I'm, you know, moving slowly up in the line and 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 uh, it was supposed to switch over between Meb and Desi. And I'm going, oh God, I really want to get Meb to sign my bib, eh? And so I get up, I get up. And so they're both sitting there. And so I actually got pictures and signatures oh, from both Meb oh. and Desi at the same time. And so probably wow. only eight people in the whole weekend got that opportunity. So like, like this, the sun was shining down on me that day. You hadn't even ran yet. And it was already a great weekend. Oh, it was, it was, and, and like, you know, you talk about Boston and I, if, if you're a road runner, just work your butt off, get there. It's, it is probably the best place an average person can feel like a rock star because the people of Boston, they love their race and they love you coming to their race. So you know, at the end of the race, I'm hobbling up because we had to take a train back to get to the Omni. And so we had to walk up the hill kind of thing and through that little square. And, and yes. you know, you could see who the runners were. And I'm sure that there was three or four people, locals, stopped on the street saying, congratulations on your run. How did yes. you like they were genuinely happy for you? And so you're like yeah. just this is just weird. And then they tell you where your your uh, medal around town for the next couple of days because people want to ask you about it. Which I, I go, we, like, like wearing it anywhere is kind of, you know, gauche or something, but I, I, <laughs> I wore it. And then people like, were standing in line to get into the, the, the baseball game the next day. And, the you know, the ticket taker personal, you know, we're waiting, chatting, you know, asking about my race and all this kind of stuff. So oh it is probably the best thing for any regular person to do. And, you know, unless you've got a, a, a serious impediment, you should be able to get to it, you know, especially in your fifties or pushing 60, just stay healthy, like just stay healthy and right. the time will come. And that's what I, I tell some people that, you know, to, as some people I coach, just bide your time, just stay healthy yeah. for the next three years, because then you get, you know, you can get to that next age category. Yes. And so like I said, Boston is the best thing. And if you're going to go, you know, go and spend five days, like don't fly in, you know, one day and then leave. And so mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's, it's just a great experience. So it's an experience. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. From the sounds of it. Oh, you're inspiring me now. And I don't road runs at all. I like 20 K <laughs> on the road is about as much as my body can handle, <laughs> but that sounds like quite an experience. So, okay. From the time you ran your first marathon to Boston, how many years was that? Was that, I'm calculating maybe five, five, five years. Yeah. I started running and then five years later, I, I ran Boston. So it took me, you know, two years of running okay. And then two years of messing up 
try, like trying to qualify when I, I had no business trying to qualify yeah. and uh, yeah. just blowing up. And then I guess yeah, that has to happen, right? You just it's really part of the learning process. Yeah. And then, then you sit down and take a, a longer, longer approach. It, this isn't like, you, there's no shortcuts in distance running. And my, my wife, she loves watching the finish line, you know, not, you know, the, the, watching the elites is kind of fun, but she likes watching the mid pack and the end of the pack where, you know, mm-hmm. you see these people that started off and they look like a runner. And then, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think she came up or somebody came up saying that, you know, the people that look fast, a lot of times aren't. And the people that don't look fast sometimes are because you look at the yeah. body shapes and sizes and, and just, yeah. you know, the ages of people. And then you mm-hmm. see their times and, you know, they're passing you and you're going, you know, oh my gosh, I, you know, and now I feel really, you know, just busted my ego. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. you know, and as you get older, you, you have less now. I, I'm, I create my own age category. It's me and everybody older than me. That's my age category. <laughs> and so, and so, and some races like, and I, I like uh, racing. I spend some time in Arizona in the winter. And so I go to the Aravaipa races. So yeah, and I have lean, have lean, a black hand, that kind of stuff. But I go to all mm-hmm. the other ones and I look and there was one race this past year. I was the third oldest person there. And this one lady that was older than me kicked my butt by like 45 mm-hmm. minutes. I talked to her, I saw her on an outback and I congratulate, you know, I said, how you know, at least don't smile so much. Like, just make me feel better. <laughs> and then I ended up choosing Colorado or something. I, 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 I caught her after, and I just chatted with her for half an hour, and just yeah, it was just great that you, you know, these people, you know, they they lap you or whatever, and and then you end up chatting and just going, okay, there's yeah. some people in their sixties that are still kicking butt out there. For yes. sure. Well, what is it Elsa McDonald has said? It applies to ultra running, she was saying, but I think it can also apply to as you age. She said, you don't have to be fast. You just have to slow down the least, right? <laughs> you just have to be there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so you've, you've spent five years, well, more than five really, because you started running even before you ran your first marathon, um, building towards Boston. So Boston happens. And if I'm reading correctly in your notes here, that very same year, you ventured into ultra marathon running. So tell us how that happened. How did you go from running Boston to running in the coolies of Lethbridge for 50K? So that year, so in 20, so I qualified in April of uh, 2011 and uh, I, I, I had great fitness like that's, you know, I, I was feeling great. And then the same running group, they would do tr- tr- road runs and then some of them would run ultra. And in Lethbridge, we have a really big, trail running community. And so usually the Tuesday nights, and, and this is, we'll talk about kind of building community later, but Tuesday nights was kind of like the the trail run night. And so it's a lot of the fast, they call it the big dog night. And so a lot of the faster runners would go out and, you know, everybody gets dropped and you try and keep up. Well, I had some fitness. And so I didn't have the technical trail running, but I could hit the flats and stuff pretty good, the downhills. And so I'd try and keep up with uh, the guy leading it was Terry Schwingler, a uh, local runner. And so, and in fact, his parents started the moonlight run in Lethbridge, which has been going for I think 45 years now. And so Terry's a really good runner, but he was one of the original race directors of Lost Soul as well. So he was creating that community, bringing people out and then, you know, encouraging us and getting us to come and do trail maintenance. And then one of the nights on trail maintenance, he, he kind of looked over at me and he was, hey, you know, we, we, we knew each other. We, we weren't friends or anything, but we knew each other through whatever. And I think he was a year older than me. And, uh, he said, yeah, Dean, we're looking for some race directors. Uh, are you interested? And I go, well, I, I got, I'm coaching football still and doing something like that. So I, right now I'm, I'm just maxed out. But then I started thinking about it going, oh, you know, it's kind of kind of cool. And, you know, I've been thinking about retiring from the, the co- football coaching side. It was just, 
it's you know, you've seen football coaches what they look like they're they're probably the most unhealthiest yeah looking people yeah in the world. my son like plays they, ball i, I <laughs> yeah and the coaches kind of look they have a look right they kind of yeah they do kind of, and so it's <laughs> Sorry, just, it's just such, yeah and so i um I was planning on, you know, I had been 20, 25 years or something. So I, I was looking at transition and I said, uh, sure, I can help out. And so, um, I, I, no, I think I ran the race cause this was already like, August I was going to say, was this even before you ran the race? It was because it was, we were doing trail maintenance out on the North loop and we don't do that until August. And, and I think I was getting probably into my last coaching football season that year, that fall. So, you know, kind of things came together. I think I said, yes after like in October or something after I ran the race. So the first time I ran an ultra, I had a lot of fitness. And so I came in second overall in the 50 K and this I'm I'm running against like guys like Oleg Tabalev, who's up ahead of me. And there's, you know, like these guys are really, and my wife, you know, the look of my wife's face when I came in like in 41 minutes or something on that first leg, the first uh, leg one, she goes, she just kind of shook her head going, Oh, this is not going to end well. (laughs) Well, this cowboy and, better take his hat off. Uh, <laughs> you just kind of, uh, it's just, you know, you don't look good. But I feel great. I'm just so jacked up, right? And, and that's, yeah. you know, and how can you not be excited at Lost Soul at first? You know, if there's so much excitement there. So I got wrapped mm-hmm. up in that. And then at mile nine, my calves started to cramp. And so I had to go from, you know, there's still another 21, 22 miles left. And so I kind of had to run dorsiflex with my feet. I couldn't, I couldn't. Yeah. So, you know, it, so it starts getting funny there. Which is and then, fine when you're climbing, not so good when you're going down. <laughs> I just, I saw, you know, the, the, the gong show starts. And and so that, you know, that, and then it got hot that day, like Lossel does. This was 20, 2011. And I, I get back, get through Pavan, and then I get into the three Bs there. And then my, the inner quads, just like inside the whole claw from the knee up that starts to cramp up and mm-hmm. it's really hard to stretch that out like because of the way the muscle is like you have to kind of do the splits and so i'm halfway up one of the bees there and i'm trying to do that and my that part is cramping and then my my i start stretching out and then my calf starts to cramp and so this looks must look hilarious if it would have been on film it would have been so this guy <laughs> is just in agony and pain trying to stretch out so I, I got through the race i think i walked that last half of the the sixth leg or whatever and just you know suffered i, I ended up 707 or something which the fast guys are in, in like under six hours or five hours or something mm-hmm. like that but but no I, you know that was my first foray into to an ultra race and uh right. I, you know i probably said you know swore about it you know like everybody else you know in that last third of a race you're going what am i doing like i have no business being here and why did i do this i'm never running this distance again and and then three weeks later on ultra sign up again, looking for yeah. this, right? So, <laughs> so I went through all of those emotions right. and I kind of got, got the bug. Right. And so right. then I said, yeah, I, I can help out. And for the first number of years, I was still doing uh, some road marathons in the, like I do the road training in the winter, run a spring marathon and then trail run through the summer and then, you know, run something else or somewhere. And we, we had uh, the, the family had a place in, in Arizona. And so we'd go spend time down in Arizona in the winter and mm-hmm. I'd hit the Aravipa races. And so I was doing yeah, more 50 Ks there and, you know, exploring. I love running in those desert mountains. So what is your favorite, what would you consider your signature distance? Like, what do you like to run the most? Um, you know, the 50 Ks are, you know, are, I won't say they're easy, but they're, I can jump into probably a 50 K anytime during the year. And that's the, the fun distance. Cause you know, I'm probably out there for somewhere between six and seven hours, depending on how hard the course is. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a good run. Whereas uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm starting to like the 50 mile hundred K I can do maybe one 
two of those a year. And I, I you know, I got to focus on those. And so this year uh, I did Black Canyon a couple of years ago and I'm going to go back and do it again because I, I messed up. Um, just I, I went off course and did some other things. And so um, I, I got some business, unfinished business with that. And so I, I want to try and get that race under 14 hours. Let's talk about Lost Souls Ultra for a minute. You're heavily involved with this race. And for those of our listeners that may not know much about this race, can you just sort of give us the overview? When is it? Where is it? How far is it? What do you love about it? Tell us all about Lost Souls Ultra. So Lost Souls, one of one of the older races in Canada, North America, you know, the, it's been going now for 22 years. And so that's kind of just when ultra running was starting. And so there was just those very random, you know, homey races where just a couple of running guys, hey, let's get together. We'll make some sandwiches and have some water and and we'll just go running crazy for a while, right? And so they, they, they took the, a bit of the uh, uh, structure off of Bighorn. So a lot of the guys from Lethbridge used to train and go to Bighorn uh, in uh, Wyoming. And so, they, you know, a lot of things like the rock is the finisher thing and a few, okay, the, other, yeah. a few of the other aspects. Um, so that they started off with just a small group of people in uh, the year 2000. I think they had, I don't know if they had the 100 mile and the 50K or something. And so, and it was, they had four race directors, two got to run and two had to, to work the race. And then they would, they flip flop every year. And so it just was that homey kind of thing. And then more people heard about it. And so it was kind of a small town kind of race and it was pretty low key. It's funny because when, when we took over in 2012, um, they said, okay, here's, here's all the stuff. So they had this mass, big, huge rubber made tub and a box of stuff. And that was, they had one of those for each age station and that was it. So all oh, of the funny. racing stuff <laughs> fit into the back of one truck. Okay. So, okay. so wow. this is, this is part, this is a lot on me, but now we have like three trailers and <laughs> it's like, it is exploded like a mushroom cloud. Like, you know, because when I usually when I get involved in stuff, you know, more is better, right? And then I go, like, that great idea I had, yeah, it's great, but man, it's just so much work and so much stuff. And so we just, you know. Well, and runners have gotten higher maintenance too, in your defense. Like, they expect more than a sandwich every, you know, 50K now. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And they want their sandwiches, certain kinds of sandwiches. And now we we actually sometimes grill the sandwiches for them and in the bacon grease, I think so. So, anyway, that's that's sort of the, 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 the origin story of the lost soul. And then um, only one race director stayed on mark um, past that point. So we had three new ones. Um, we had brought in Sherry Hazelar, and uh, she was the local fitness instructor and, and ultra runner. And the good thing about bringing her on is she she brought the swag part up to snuff. So I think the first year was the uh, Asics uh, Thermopolis shirt. And people loved it. Like she said, oh, I'm not doing cotton t-shirts, or, you know, whatever. So it's going to be something really good. And so we started going overboard on the on the swag. And so we brought her on. Uh, brought me on and uh, Jake Cameron. So we had, you know, three, three new people. And so probably in the first couple of years, we started with 175 runners and the limitation was they would burn the rocks during the race weekend. So you would finish and Ron Bain was one of the, he was owned the runner soul uh, store and was one of the originate originators of the race. So he was actually, you'd get a time in. So he would, punch out, you know, have your name punched out on, on rubberized uh, template. So that goes onto the rock and then they would have to cut out the time, put that on the rock and then they blast it. And so everything not covered by rubber would be the rock. And so your rock is being birthed just after you finish the race because they have the 50K or sorry, the, the 100K 
hundred mile on the Friday and the fifty k Saturday. So all day Saturday, Saturday night, they're blasting these rocks, so they're all ready for Sunday morning. So they could only do like one hundred and seventy, I think, was the max. And they had more volunteers doing that than we had on on course. And so wow. And isn't there a YouTube video that outlines that shows yeah. this process? We should link to that in our show notes. It's fascinating. It, and it's back when Ron was still doing it, and uh, yeah. and you can see all the volunteers out there because they're having to, you know, get the they're cutting out the matting, putting it on. Ron's got the hood on, and he's blasting. And so it's just after he blasts them, then he spray paints them with the stuff. Then you have to peel because it's yeah. duct taped on. They have to peel the stuff off and rub off all the. And so, and you know, it was very labor intensive. So 175 of them. Yes. Yeah. So it was, and Assuming so everybody we, finishes. Yeah. So, and so that was limitation. And so many people were trying to get into the race. It was, it was a, a race to get into the race. It would fill up in literally minutes. Like the, the guy doing the registration, his system would kind of database would start cratering. And so people are just, you know, you'd have two computers ready and you'd be trying to get on. So, so we decided that, okay, well, it's probably more important that we have more more people into the race and so we just would pre-do the rocks without your name and time on it but he would still do those as custom orders it just would happen in the week or two weeks after the race uh, so mm-hmm. he was still doing the custom rocks we ended up i think went up to 250 and then now we're you know over the years we kind of settled on 320 i think when you we went 350 and because i think it was forest fires out west and so many runners uh, couldn't get their Western States qualifier in. So they were phoning and begging us to let them in. And so we said, okay, fine, we'll let in another 20 runners. Well, we found that if we go over that 320, we could feel the pressure in the race. Like just having, because they're in the bubble, right? They're in that, that bell curve that moves through the yeah, course. Yeah. And it just, uh, it was just too much. And even the banquet, we, we filled up the room. We were at capacity of the room. We had 500 people in the banquet room. And so just everything was too much. So we settled on like 320 is our, optimum number of total racers and uh we've been doing that for the last three or four years and and it just we still have that comfortable homey feeling but we're still maximizing the number of people that that get to come to our race so you mentioned this banquet let's talk about this banquet for a minute i've been to a lot of races this was my first year that i was privileged enough to go to the the brunch the breakfast after lost souls on sunday morning so um unlike a lot of well, 100 milers do often start on Friday, but a, uh, unlike a lot of 100Ks at least, this everything starts Friday morning and the 50K starts Saturday morning and it's all done by Saturday afternoon. And the brunch, the awards brunch, happens the next day on Sunday. And this isn't just like, you know, a bowl of chili at the finish line. Here's your food. This is a catered, full-on brunch in a hotel where there's a very nice awards ceremony and um, memorial awards given and finisher awards given and speeches. You had a guest speaker who, by the way, we're going to be having on our podcast as well. We're going to have Mark Timmons on. After I heard his speech, I was like, we need to have that guy on the show. I think I had a list of 10 names by the end of that brunch. But this is just one of those additional things that I think makes Lost Souls so unique and just really builds that feeling of connection and community. People stick around for this. You know, yes, a lot of people go home right after the race if they have to be back for work, but many, many do stay. And as you just said, at one point, up to 500 people, if they have their crew significant other, are staying for this brunch a full 24 hours after they've finished the race, which is pretty darn cool. It's In fact, it's funny. So many people, uh, We when we ran the, the race last year, we couldn't really have the brunch with covid 
you know, it was kind of yeah. all that many people in a big room is not, you know, not, not a great idea. So yeah. people were really <laughs> bummed that we didn't have the brunch and, and, and we, we missed that connection too. Cause that's the time when we get to chat with a bunch of people because we're always busy during the race. And so one of the big questions people, when they're registering this year, they're going, you're having the brunch, right? Right. You're having the brunch. Like that was, they weren't asking about the course. They weren't asking about who's running or anything. They just want you, we're having the brunch, right? And so, um, yeah, it was, it, it was a big piece and, and maybe we didn't know it was a big piece. We go, oh, it's just, just a brunch award breakfast. But we, we now understand that it is one of the key pieces of our race and why people enjoy coming for the, for the whole weekend. And sometimes, I mean, like in business, right, your customers will tell you what they need and what they what they want and what's important to them, right? And I have to think that it's the same thing here. Like you may not have known in the beginning, like, yeah, this brunch is going to be the, the thing that everyone looks so forward to. But over the years, you learn like this is what people really are coming for. And earlier you mentioned community and you said we'll get to that later. So I'm, I'm wondering if that ties into it, like how how much like because I also imagine that putting on this brunch is not an easy feat like you're you're spending a lot of energy on the run itself right and making sure it's safe and making sure all you know that the aid stations are there's volunteers there and all, I'm sure there's just like a gazillion things that you're thinking about to make it an awesome race but then you've got to go above and beyond and put a lot of work into this brunch so why has that remained something at the top of your priority list after all these years. You're right. It's, it's, it's that community. That's why people keep coming back. So there, there's, you know, the usual crowd of people, they, they come from everywhere, but they always come back to Lost Soul. Some of them come and they don't even race. They actually just come and volunteer. They just want to hang out all weekend, like Hero, um, his knee, mm-hmm. he had a bum knee this year. And so he, uh, and he came down and stayed the weekend and volunteered all weekend because he didn't want to miss the whole you know, the whole atmosphere and, and hanging out for the whole weekend with people, with all of his people, like all of, it's all your weird friends. And, you know, maybe that's yeah. why they, they keep us together. They allow us to do it because all the weird people stay together and not bothering anybody else. <laughs> we're just out in the coolies, right? And we don't even allow yeah. them in, into town. We keep them on a, a, in a hotel. It's on the, on edge, the edge of, of town. town. Yeah, exactly. So, and, and, and this is where, you know, I, I wanted to really uh, sort of talk about the the community, but also the, the organizing group, we're a race director team. And so, and we are a team of, of people. And so I, I've, whether I got stuck or whatever, so I, I'm in charge of uh, the registration and then timing and then finish line stuff. And so I'm kind of the people, the person that people are talking about, right? You know, package pickup. And then, you know, Mark Hayward is our, our the OG of our, our group. Um, he, you know, he's our kind of our lead. And so he's in charge of the course and marking. And so he's out there year round. And so if you see, he's the white paint guy. So he's out there mm-hmm. painting, you know, he's always painting the course. So people know if they come, you come to town, just look for the white paint. You're not going to get lost. And so mm-hmm. he's continually doing that. He coordinates the banquet. And then he does also the coordination with um, all the landowners. So we got six landowners that we, we work with. And so we get permission we make sure we keep them happy. We, we give them gift cards or something at the end of the season. So we, we nurture that relationship because we're, we're just trespassers on their, on their farm right. and ranch land. And yeah. so, you know, he does that. And then he coordinates the parking stuff. So he's got all of the crappy jobs and mm-hmm. you don't see him out in public at all. So, you know, that, you know, that, that's what he does. And then there's um, Jake Cameron, 
he was you know, laid up this year, couldn't make it out. And so he, but he was in charge of volunteers and budget stuff. So he, we kind of lost our volunteer coordinator. So there was a bunch of stuff that wasn't getting done because we don't have a lot of uh, uh, alternates. And so it was kind of like, okay, everybody take a little piece of it, but we're, we're going to get it done like maybe to 70%. And so there's a bunch of things that we didn't get finished on the, on the volunteer side. So Jake, Jake's uh, in charge of that, that side. He's okay. also, um, and then uh, uh, Pat Wilson, he's in charge of headquarters of building that little town. <laughs> so he's there Thursday, Friday, maintaining stuff, infrastructure. He's got to get power. He's got to get water. Got to get mm-hmm. the tents up. We got to make sure. We got to mm-hmm. figure out what the wind direction is going to be. We got to make sure that the tents are locked down. So right. he's all weekend, you know, managing that stuff. And so that's just another, you know, hidden job that, that happens at the background. Yeah. Sean Pinder, he's uh, one of the owners of uh, Runner Soul Store. He's on yeah. on on board as well. And so he's kind of part of race day logistics. And so it's getting all the um, the signs out onto the roads, uh, pylons. We have to get all the pylons out into the, like the Somewhere on the road on the North Loop and in Tollstrip Gravel, because you know these operations are still running on Saturday, so you know we got to protect runners yeah. from vehicles and stuff. So he's running mm-hmm. around the the remote water station. So usually him and Jake are running around doing that stuff. And I think Jake is um, he's also our nighttime race director. So we have him on like he's at headquarters from I think it's midnight to four a.m. or five a.m. And so he does the night shift, and then he gets Saturday off to you know catch up on sleep and stuff. So we we're missing that that one guy. And so, you know, we had all of our guys working hard doing, you know, little extra duties. So we were, you know, pulling some, some long days and and doing a bunch of stuff, but also the the volunteers. And we talked about community and we noticed that our volunteer numbers were down, but it's the same old suspects, you know, the usual suspects are, are volunteering. And then we kind of had to lean on them. So they're doing double and triple shifts or, you know, staying all night. Like one of my one friend, Johan, he was doing the, it's kind of the late night uh, timing shift at headquarters. And we need somebody there because that's the hundred mile or sorry, the hundred Ks are all finishing. And so I think he was supposed to go home at just after midnight. Well, I left at I think 11 PM cause I got to be back by 5 AM. And when I got back, he was still there. And so he stayed the whole night um, just to do the timing. Wow. For us. And he was, so our, that running group, it's called run with Johan. And this is the Johan of run with Johan group. Ah. So, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's a good friend. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, but they just knew. And so there were, there were so many people and, and I only saw people that were at headquarters. I didn't get a chance to get out to the other stations, but uh, Joanne and Brent Guppy, they were pulling in double, triple shifts um, on timing. And then, uh, you know, there, there was just a number of people and I, I'm missing a whole bunch of them here, but um, they were just making this thing happen. I talked to so many runners, you know, when they left and every one of them would say, you know, a great race, but they said, the volunteers are by far the best they've ever had. And then I heard that over and over and over. Like there wasn't a person that gave me a comment that didn't mention the volunteers. So hmm. what we lacked in numbers on the weekend, and we were trying, we were shuffling them between aid stations because some too many were signed up here and we had to make them move and stuff. So what we lacked in quality, quantity, we, we made up for in quality. And so a lot of our, our volunteers are trail runners and then, you know, and so it's one thing that I think we're we as race directors we're going to have to bring more community like our racers back and say hey this is our party that we host and so you know you know instead of running the race why don't you maybe think about you know coming and helping out you throw this party and then go to somebody else's party and then you can just go go party at that race kind of thing right and so you know maybe we we're missing that a little bit and one example was uh, Larry Kundrick which is 
he's got the most hundred mile finishes at our race. I think he's at at fifteen and already. I think. He's, oh my was, goodness! But his but his he was having some knee issues, so he said there's no way he can race this year. But he pulled a an ultra at Pavan, helping the runners. And so all of the the people that were talking about like the hundred milers, that you know people that got them through the night, it was Larry. Larry stayed up until I think they finally sent him home at around two or three a.m. on uh, on Friday to get some sleep because it really slows down. Like the hundred, there's only a few hundred milers kind of somewhere on the course. So he went home for a number of hours sleep and then came back the next morning. And, and, and his wife, Mary, is she's awesome. Um, and she was helping out, I think, even at a, a different aid station. Excuse me. And so Larry, you know, he and I, I told Larry, I said, you know, he was kind of, you know, bummed out that he wasn't going to be able to run. But I said, Larry, I said, if you if you don't really enjoy this, I said, I'll eat my hat. I said, I, I believe mm-hmm. that you will get so excited helping all these runners through that Pavan aid station that, you know, you will get that, you know, you, you've made like Lisa Belanger, who... Like she only finished within, you know, like she had like a half an hour to spare in uh, 33 hours. And so yeah. it was people like Larry that got them out of the aid station, like get them what you need, get out, go away. I don't yeah. want to see you here. Go anymore. now. Exactly. Go now. Yeah. yeah. I'm a huge, huge believer in, in exactly that. In fact, this year I only ran two races, but I crewed and volunteered at three. And I'm not saying this to toot my own horn. I was there. I was at softball Valley. I did my shift timing. And uh, paced through the night after that. And you, it is, I really, it's a toss up for me as to which is more fulfilling, you know, helping, helping people achieve their goals gives me such a high, especially when you see them after the fact, like you get them out of that aid station. I can't tell you, I can think of two or three people that wanted to stand and talk that I knew. And I'm like, let's talk as we walk. Let's just get you going (laughs) out this way. Right. And uh, then you, you find out that they finished and maybe it was hard, but they got their rock. Right. And so, yeah, let's together, Dean, let's just put that shout out to people, do your volunteering, give back to your community because yeah, these races can't happen without volunteers. And it's really, I think quite selfish to expect them to. Right. Yeah. We're missing a lot, just a lot of people that, that normally would see out now. Part of it I think is just due to post pandemic stuff where people were so shut in that, that they haven't opened up yet or they're, they're really scared of, of, you know, yeah. getting infected. Like at the, at the banquet, I was wearing my mask up there. I was one of three people wearing a mask in the building. And I said, I don't care. I mm-hmm. said, I, I haven't got it. I can't afford to get it. I, you know, I got a bit of a, I'll get bronchitis just from a cold. I said, I don't know what would happen to me if I got COVID. So I enjoy running and, uh, I, you know, just so a lot of people are scared that way, or they just have maybe been disassociated with the whole running community for a little while that they yeah, kind of right forgot. Yeah, yeah. And so we forgot about that piece. And so I said, and I'm going to say it here on the, on the podcast for the few, you know, for my friends that, you know, might actually listen, but I, I really encourage our running community to listen in that um, we have to re-engage. And so I'm, my commitment is in, in April, I'm, I'm getting back and I'm going to start, I usually, I started up a thing called Cooley Cruisers and it was kind of like just intro to trail running, come on out, it's free. And I was getting like 40 people coming out on, you know, I, I just did it once a week for like three or four weeks. And all these new people and faces and, and what I was trying to do is say, okay, come out here. We're just going to do out and back runs so that after we'll, you know, we'll run for 30 minutes and then we come back um, on the same, on the same trail. So just turn around and everybody gets back at the same time. doesn't matter how fast you go, how slow you go. It doesn't matter. So we, we were doing that. And I said, my goal is to have you link up with some other people that are about your same pace. And that way you'll, you'll, you know, kind of, 
make some new friends, running friends, and that you will self-organize saying, hey, Dean's only doing this for three weeks, but hey, what are you guys doing next Wednesday at six? You guys want to just keep meeting up at six o'clock? And so a few of them kept on going. A few maybe have, you know, did their own thing. I don't know. So I'm committing to do that in uh, April and May this year. And then as my business, I'm actually going to do some kind of clinics and camps where like we'll do hill running and we'll do some other kinds of uh, specific things where it might be a couple, you know, it might be two nights a week for a few weeks. And then it's more maybe higher end skills that people are looking for and some Mm in-person things. Um, Another person, uh, Chantelle Erickson, um, she was doing a lot more uh, intro classes, but she was doing it through one of the fitness centers in town. And so, but she is doing, you know, she's got a bunch of other stuff going on. So she can only do one a year now, but whereas before she was doing them all through the summer. And so that brought a bunch of people in, but we're, we've lost that piece. So I, I'm, I don't have a big plan, any holiday plans next summer. So I'm sticking around. And so I'm committing to getting those things in April and May. And so I said it here so people can hold me yeah. to it. It's one of those things, oh, yeah. maybe I'll get around to it. Right. And then it just doesn't happen. So, yeah. so my goal there is to bring them in bring them into uh, volunteering. Like example was one guy uh, messaged me on Wednesday before the race going, yeah, I just moved to town. I'm from Hong Kong. I'm a trail runner. Can I get into the race? I go, well, no, we're all full. I said, well, you know, we could really use some help uh, uh, just at the aid stations. So the guy ended up coming in and did the night shift at headquarters, but he's a chef. So I guess he was cooking up some stuff in the back there. It was fantastic because oh, wow. I didn't, because I, I, you know, I was out doing stuff and some runners were saying, yeah, the food you guys have here at headquarters is fantastic. <laughs> and, so, and so this guy, he pulled an all nighter. And so he said, yeah, he'll get involved wow. in the running community. He wants to run the race next year. And so that's and then, amazing. And, and a lot of times I would say maybe half of our Lethbridge runners, if they're running on Saturday doing the hundred K then they're coming out and volunteering on on sort of Friday, and then they're they're volunteering on Saturday, and vice versa. The 50k people are coming out and helping set up on on Thursday, Friday, and so we we have a number of those, but I I still there was a lot of faces I didn't see, so I, we have to re-engage with them, saying, okay, we need to bring this back together as a community thing, and yes, you can run the race, but we also need you to help, and this is how trail running works. It's it's not like a a marathon where you can have a thousand runners out there and you can do it with hundred volunteers, right? Whereas we need probably close to 200 slots filled. And we did it with like a hundred this year or 50 or 70 or something, but people pulling double shifts. So yeah, it just, mm-hmm. that's on us to, to re-engage because the stuff that Terry Schwingle used to do as one of the race directors, he created that. And, you know, you start taking things for granted and you let it slide. And our, our group runs uh, used to get like 15, 20 people out. And recently this summer it was like, six to 10. And then yeah, I'd go yeah, out on yeah. a Saturday morning, like, you know, we get our small group, go out Saturday morning. And a lot of times the Saturday morning are usually people in your same pace, right? Cause you're, you're out training. And so we'd, you know, start at the lodge at 8am looking around. Oh, we see nobody. And then we get on the trail and usually on the, on the ridges, you can see ahead, you know, if there, there's a group that's half an hour ahead of you, you can see them and stuff, or there's a couple yeah. spots where you get close. You can see, from. we would go out for a four hour run and see like two other people out there on the course. And we're going, where are the people? We used to get Calgary people coming down like every, you know, probably every Mm, weekend there's somebody coming into town to to train on the course. Nothing this year. So, well, you know, I was just speaking to this about this to somebody just yesterday about how I have to conscious think I moved to Calgary a year and what, two months ago now. And 
I got so in the habit of just doing my thing and not calling anybody to go running that I really haven't, I'm out of the habit. I'm like, you know, okay, pandemic may not be quote over, but it, for all intents and purposes, there's no reason why I shouldn't be reaching out and connecting with people and trying to find somebody to go out with. Right. Mm -hmm. So it is, I think after two and a half years, we have to just do that shift back to um, group runs, community, finding a running buddy, not just wearing my spot for safety in the middle of nowhere. Like I could actually go with a person. <laughs> um, yeah, it is. It is important and it has to be conscious. It doesn't happen by accident. I think that's kind of the point you're making here, Dean, is that we need to be conscious about this because it trickles down, not just in our own running experience, but to the experience of others as well. So Dean, you've mentioned a few times about the fact that you do do some coaching. Um, why don't you briefly tell us, you know, um, about your, your coaching experience, what got you into coaching? I know you have the USCA coaching certification, Jason Coop's brainchild, uh, which is considered one of the, the best ultra running coaching certifications out there. And then maybe tell us a little bit about the type of athletes that you coach, as well as what you've learned through the whole coaching experience. So there's four questions for you. <laughs> Got all that? Let's see what you can do with that. <laughs> okay. So starting off, yeah, I, I started coaching um, 2013. I guess I, I formalized it as a, as a business. And then uh, I had just gone to a McMillan running uh, certification. So they, they have the Lydiard certification. So Lorraine Moeller, ex-Olympian, her and Nav uh, Navi Hirozumi and so because Greg McMillan, I've been to a couple of his camps already. I kind of know him. And so I, I did that certification because he was putting it on. And so I had some, some, a basis for training. And then I was using those, uh, uh, the information and the, the techniques out of uh, the run less, run faster. So that, that, that's for a different piece of client or different clientele. Yeah. And so, and then the, there's always looking for uh, ultra stuff and there's just nothing out there. And so finally, you know, I've been devouring stuff from Science of Ultra, Jason Coop, the Roches, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, using that. And so that kind of helped me get more technical, maybe a little more scientific on it. Um, and then I, I would probably, um, a lot of people either new to running or people that want to improve their, their trail running have, have usually found me and I don't, don't advertise. Uh, it's usually word of mouth. It's usually friends of friends. And I, you know, I can only handle like 10 to 12 people, um, at once. And so, um, I'm usually turning people away. And so, um, I, I coach towards independence, meaning that I should only have to work with you for a while and then you should have enough information. And then maybe you just get a training plan or do a half an hour, an hour consult with me uh, about a next race. And so mm -hmm. part of it, you know, every coach starts off with, it's all about the training plan. And so it's very technical, <laughs> very religious that way. And then, then the nuances start coming in, um, you know, and then you start talking about nutrition, uh, uh, nutrition. Um, and then you start to ask more questions about their life and um, like your kids, you know, do you have family? Do you have support? You know, like when I'm telling you to go to do a four hour run, what am I doing to your family? Like, are you, are you mm -hmm, abandoning mm -hmm. them? So we sometimes have to work through things and some, you know, some people are single parents, um, half of them mm -hmm. are probably single parents or, you know, split families. And so I have to work the training around their life. And I think that's maybe my niche is helping them train as best they can with what time they have available. Um, what have I learned? Patience, right? Uh, you know, you can't, both on my side, I can't push things. I have to be patient. These people are not pro athletes. Uh, they have jobs, mm -hmm. they have families. Running is a hobby. It's a, maybe a bit of a lifestyle. Um, in some cases, running running is maybe dangerous for them because it's a more of an, an obsession. 
And so I kind of have to pull them back. And I'd say half my athletes, I probably pull them back from what they used to train because they were getting injured all the time. And then so, some of my yeah. athletes that are winning races now, they have no injuries and they're winning races and they're running maybe, you know, only 70% of what they used to run. So that's kind of what I've learned. Uh, how's that helped my running? Um, I don't know. I, I mess up, screw up probably as much or more because, you know, I'm my own worst coach and, and my, my <laughs> you know, so there's this discerning looks I get from my wife going, you, I did what? Like I, you know, I ran too fast or I ate too much of this aid station or I did this or that. So I, I mess up just like everybody else. And I usually take that uh, internally and going, okay, how, how do I solve that problem? The same problem for other people. There's a great book out there, uh, Simon Marshall and Leslie Patterson, the brave athlete, uh, yep. whatever. Calm uh, the F down. Calm the F down. There was one right, chapter in right. there called why do I keep screwing up? And so I got their book after listening to them on some podcasts and I, and I just, it just, it just, it was me, right? Why do I keep screwing up? Yes. It's my focus. It's either internal, or external, narrow or wide. And so when I'm running in a trail run, I get chatty with people and I blow past uh, uh, trail markers. And so, or I forget my nutrition, like you're chatting with somebody an hour later yes. going, I haven't eaten or drank in this last hour. I am screwed. Right. And you know, I got this whole big race. So some of those things I learn and then I have to create a tool for myself. So I have to check in with myself. I, I create a little race card and like a mile before the aid station, I pull it out. What, what should I have eaten and drank? What am I doing at this aid station? So I, I refocus internally and narrow and as opposed to, you know, looking at the beautiful scenery and all that kind of stuff. So those are the things that I, I've learned. Um, some of the athletes, I get people new to running, people couch to running. Um, I've worked with, uh, I work with a physiotherapist in town. I get the back to running people um, because, yeah. you know, once they're, they're now released to run mm -hmm. and now they, he kind of says, you might want to talk to Dean and, and get some help there so that we do this mm -hmm. properly, have the patience, uh, both on my side patience. and on their yeah. side. And so, you know, that's the yeah. kind of stuff that I, that, that I've learned. Um, I, I, I try and do better myself in my own races, but you know, sometimes I'm my own worst enemy and, um, yeah. At least my, my wife sort of coaches me. She still isn't listening here, so we're, we're safe. <laughs> but uh, but I, I usually have to know, you know, she's on my shoulder going, you know, she's going to say, well, why did I do that? Uh, but she's the one that gets Behind me Behind every great man, no. <laughs> she's a woman saying, what the? <laughs> that's exactly what they're saying. So, yeah, that, that's kind of, you know, my coaching style. Um, uh, I've had some really good athletes that uh, I don't even know. Do they really need me? Um, and some outsource their life to me, their, their running life. They go, Dean, I don't have time. You just, uh, I need you to coach me, you know, year round. Uh, this is, here's all the races I want to do. Plan my life for me. See you later kind mm -hmm. of thing. And mm -hmm. so there's, those are the different types of, of uh, clients I get. Some, some are, like I said, have an unhealthy relationship with running. And that, that's a little tougher for me. I'm not skilled in that area, but I, I'm aware of it. And, um, you know, in some other areas, I, I don't know if I've dealt with anybody with eating disorders. Um, and I, I follow Amelia Boone and all the stuff. And I'm, I'm learning that it's, I, you know, I can't just sell them, just eat more like that. That's not yeah. how it works. Yeah. Right. And so I'm, yeah. I'm just, I'm sensitive to it. I don't, I know that I don't know anything about it and I will encourage them to get professional help in those areas. And I do the same thing with, with runners, you know, they tell me about an ache or a pain. I go, okay, Here's, here's a, a, a trial, a test, meaning if you can do this without pain, you're fine. But if you can't, you need to go see a physiotherapist. You know, you know I'll say, here's, here's two or three that work with runners. I said, I need you to mm -hmm, go mm -hmm. 
get their assessment. I, I'm, I'm not in that field, um, you know, but there's some things that I can, you know, more or less triage, meaning that, uh, yeah, this is the area they need to go check out. Or in some cases, it's we have to change, you know, your cadence is 160 and uh, you're complaining of IT band problems. Well, it's because your hips are getting way overloaded. And that's right. what the physiotherapist is going to tell you. So we're going to work on cadence for a little while. And then if it still keeps acting up, I'll send you off back to the physiotherapy and, and they'll give you some exercise that you won't do. So, Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, let's just not go there. That's fodder yeah, for another okay. whole podcast. But anyways, okay, Dean, this this has been, I knew it was going to be a great conversation. We probably could talk for another two hours, but I think we've kept you long enough. Where can people find you if they want to find out more about your coaching or about the, you know, as well as the Lost Holes Ultra, um, where where should they go look? Um, you can find me at uh, rundeanrun.ca or my, I'm rundean on pretty much everything. Rundean at Gmail, mm-hmm. rundean on Twitter, Instagram. I'm not much onto Instagram yet. I guess I have to get some young nephew or niece to show me, mm-hmm. you know, I got to get on the on the gram kind of thing. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And then, or you, you know, you also get me through Lost Soul. Well, it's been a pleasure, Dean. I think you've given a lot of runners a lot to think about uh, in this episode. And um, thank you for coming on the show and sharing who you are and what you do. Thanks for having me on and allowing me to talk about running. 